Hi, I'm Jimmy Correa, and thank you for listening to Conversations Between Addicts. Some of the most meaningful conversations I've had with people outside of my family were with people that had been where I'd been and had felt what I'd felt. It was raw, honest conversations that came after a 12-step meeting where buckets of tears were shed, or during the week when I called a friend because I needed help sorting through the mess in my head. They were the conversations where I wasn't trying to impress anyone, and I knew that they didn't judge me for all the stupid things that I'd done. This is what Conversations Between Addicts is about. I hope that as you listen, you will be inspired with hope for a brighter future and open up to someone that you can trust in full honesty. This is not a recovery program or any kind of replacement for professional help. As difficult as it may be, recovery really begins when you get real, fully honest with yourself and God. I urge you, if your life is being overtaken with addiction, get help. Talk with a family member, church leader, or colleague that you can trust. Go to a therapist or counselor. Get the help that you need. Real recovery from addiction doesn't happen alone in isolation. I know you can be free and feel the full joy that comes with that freedom. Most of all, I want you to know that you're not alone in this. We really are all together. So reach out, speak up, and let's help each other out so that we can enjoy that, that joy and freedom that comes from recovery from addiction. Okay, welcome to our podcast today. I have a, a really cool guest I'm excited to talk with. His name is Brett Walker. He is a, a marketer and a, by, by profession. I don't know what your official title would be with that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And he's a, he's a writer and an advocate for uh, recovery meetings and also a leader in a recovery meeting in his local area. I'm so grateful to have you here on the podcast to share with us your insights with the things you've learned and also to tell us a little bit about the, the book that you've just released called Arise. I got to read the, the first few chapters of that and I'm excited to read the, the rest of it. So why don't you take a second and introduce yourself a little bit, Brett? Oh, thanks. Hey, um, I'm just glad to be uh, doing something like this. Um, I have a, a lot of background with with addiction, with recovery. I've been involved in 12-step meetings now for several several years and have been blessed to serve as a church service missionary in the addiction recovery program. I focused on the men's only side with uh, pornography addiction support groups. Um, I'm going on my second round as a church service missionary and group leader for meetings. And, and we're in Southern California. So it's, you know, first time was in Utah. I got some great training there. And now <clears throat> in Southern California, finding that that the uh, the need is consistent um, wherever we are in the church and we're grateful for the opportunity to serve my wife serves with me and it's just been an amazing blessing for us oh, and, uh, glad you glad to be talking to you tonight Jimmy um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm excited to have you here because I know uh, the more and more I get go through this process for myself I I see more and more the wisdom of, of, of the veterans, you know, that, that have been going to meetings, not for just months or a couple of years, but have been there for a long time. I remember when I first started going to meetings, I thought, man, these guys, they just don't get it. 
that the longer I'm there, the more I realize, you know, the <clears throat> ones that have been there a long time really know what's going on. I don't know. Tell me, tell me some of the things that, that, you know, why, why you feel meetings are, are so important to, to someone seeking out recovery from any kind of addiction. Yeah, it's really remarkable what happens when people have the courage to actually go into a meeting. Um, it sort of breaks this veil of secrecy, and maybe it's not totally secret, but, but for most people who participate in meetings, it's the first time they're kind of not just talking openly, not so much about the practice of, of addiction or their addiction, but really just in, in a public setting, sort of saying, I am like this. I'm one of you. I'm here. Um, and, and that move personally not only takes an overwhelming amount of courage, but it leads to uh, a sense of love and companionship and camaraderie that most people coming to meetings have never felt. Um, I've, I've had uh, so many people tell me that they struggled and struggled, and then their bishop or a friend said, hey, why don't you try 12-step meetings out? And they came, you know, sometimes two, three, four weeks driving around the building or telling their spouse they were going to a meeting, but instead, you know, doing something else, driving around or whatever it might be, not necessarily making trouble for themselves, but but then ultimately, finally coming to the meeting and parking the car and walking through the door and, you know, feeling like the, the earth is going to open up and swallow them in that moment. And, and instead getting a warm embrace from a, an elder um, in the church, a church service missionary or a facilitator, or someone running a meeting and being welcomed and feeling this love that is just like, this is where I belong. And, and so that, you know, that's what happens when people go to meetings. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that it's not scary. Uh, doesn't mean that you're worried, not worried about having running into someone you might know, but you're running into someone you know, and they're also just as quick to give you a hug and and uh, thank you for being there. It's not all about hugging, of course, but it's about feeling like you are where you belong and find a place to feel safe and. Kind of the beginning of a new new level of honesty that maybe you've never felt before. So that's that's what I see happening so often every week. Yeah, and that you know that that reminds me of just I mean not too long ago, I was at a meeting and I remember it was a young man's first time being there and he he's been home from a mission not too long and um, you know he after the meeting, he just said, wow, this is the first time I've ever felt like I wasn't the only one. He said his entire life, he felt like he was the only one dealing with it. And it was the first time that he he was in a a room full of others that he said, wow, I'm not alone here. There's, there's other people that, that are, that are in this with me and, and we can do this together. You know, yeah, yeah, it's an amazing realization, and I think some people would believe that that I'm not alone, I'm not the only one, would make this problems like these feel more normal or acceptable, which is not really the conclusion. I think you're you're describing it the right way, but I want to just interpret it a little bit. What most people feel is that not like I'm okay because I'm like everybody else, but more like wow, I I didn't know. I thought it was me and only me, and and 
you know, Satan wants us to feel so alone. Mm-hmm. And the, the practice of addiction is often about the practice of keeping secrets and deeper and darker secrets over time. And to break out of that, uh, it doesn't, doesn't start with blurting the secret out. It starts by not feeling alone. And, you know, our Savior probably more than anyone wants us to not feel alone. Uh, the atonement, if you break that down, he wants us to feel at one. He wants us to feel together with him. And yet, uh, I, I like to take something from a, I think it was a Christian ministry book. I don't really remember the title where I heard this, but, but Satan's plan is to take the cross out of the atonement. And that's clearly a symbol that not everyone uses to represent that. But for the sake of this conversation, maybe we can let the cross stand for the, the suffering and the atonement in its broadest sense, including the resurrection. Um, but say he wants to take the, the cross out of it and it turns from at one to alone. And, and uh, he can isolate us and keep us feeling like it's just us and we can't get help and whatever else. Then he wins. And that's why the 12 step program exists. And what it does is guide us step by step out of that aloneness into an at oneness with our, our Savior. Just an amazing, amazing process. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's interesting too that um, another one of those lies to keep us alone is is that we can take care of it on our own with the Savior that it's just oh, it's just me and Him we'll figure it out together and mm-hmm. I, at least for me the thing I'm learning is that yeah He could you know and, and maybe with maybe with some people He does but but I know for me. He didn't want. He doesn't want me to just figure out how to to be on my own. He wants me to 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 reach out and branch out and you know actually associate and love one another, like we're meant to here on this earth. We're all here together, and and you know that 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 becoming one with the Savior is is becoming one with my other brothers and sisters as well, mm-hmm. because. You know, we all need to become one with him. We, it's not a, it's not a silo activity. It's a, it's, it's a big, you know, we're, we're all brothers and sisters. It's all part of a, his plan. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but I, I know that's oh, it one, totally does. That's one of the lies I, I've, I've heard in my own head and I've, I've seen with others too that they think, oh, I'll just, I'll just pray and ask for forgiveness and I'll work it out, you know, quietly between me and the Lord, and. Mm-hmm. At least with this addiction, it just, it doesn't work that way. Oh. Yeah. Well, I, I like to ask people a simple question. What's the opposite of addiction? And most people respond, um, brothers and sisters involved in our, our program. We run a general addiction meeting. We run a, a pornography addiction support group or pornography recovery support group mm-hmm. and a family or spouse meeting. And, um, I ask people, so what's the opposite of addiction? Most people kind of like, uh, non-addiction, <laughs> what? Yeah. not being addicted. That would be a nice opposite, right? Be normal. Um, whatever it might be the answer, but, uh, what it, what really feels like the right answer to that question that once you think about it for a minute, is it, it's exactly what you're describing. The opposite of being addicted or isolated or alone 
or acting out in a way that's damaging yourself and everyone around you is to is is connection. It's putting that aside and reconnecting with people and finding the power of human relationships and the beauty of living authentically and honestly, you know, sometimes openly and transparently in a way that um, you, you can talk to people about your struggles. Um, the right people, of course, not everyone understands, but talk to people in a way that says, this is who I am and feel like now you're known at a new level by family and friends and loved ones who previously might have believed you were someone different and, and wondered why. But now they know, and now they're able to actually watch you grow and move along this path of restoring not just your spirituality, but the sanctity and beauty of relationships all around you. So it's just, it's a, it's a remarkable process. Now, here's, a, here's another thought that kind of came to me. Um, you know, and I, I've seen with many people that they, they come to a couple meetings, it seems like they're, they're feeling included and then they don't show up. Or I've seen people that they come once and they never come back again. Why do you think mm-hmm. that is what maybe, you know, someone comes and they don't come back or, or maybe they, they come and then they quit coming. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? I think it's a good question. Um, I think everyone would like to just be normal. Uh, you know, that normal, what can, what normal can look like for those who struggle with addictions, compulsive behavior, substance abuse, whatever it may be is not just the the fact that they don't use um, their drug of choice. And I've used that term broadly to reflect or represent anything that can hold us back mm-hmm. that we escape to. And so it's like, well, if I could just take a pill and have that problem go away, that'd be fine. And I'd, I'd be normal. And so a lot of people say, well, I go to a meeting or two, or maybe even all 12 steps in order. And I've, I've done those and <clears throat> maybe I've graduated. I, I graduated. And I don't need to go back because I expect myself to be normal then. But I, I think that the, the daunting, the most daunting thing about coming to meetings the first time and the second time and then staying is a realization that um, we, it's not up to us. We don't have to figure this out on our own. And in fact, it might be better if we freely admitted that trying to figure it out on our own is the thing that's kept us from from feeling more normal. And uh, so I, I think that people struggle with just getting honest enough um, and willing enough to let God into their lives and let him be their source of power. And, and the reason people don't come back is because I think we sort of sometimes go, we take our file back from the Lord and sort of say, you know what, I'm, I'm good. I got it all figured out. I don't, I don't need that right now. Um, thank you for that help, but I'll, I'll do fine. Because I know, and I think this is the false belief, we, we sometimes think, uh, you know, I don't know, I feel this way all the time. It's kind of like, I, I think the big expectation that my Heavenly Father has of me is that I can do this on my own. And yet, that's just false doctrine from one from the beginning of that sentence to the end of that sentence. You know, <laughs> what his expectation is, is that I can do this because he sent his son and I'm saved by grace after all I can do. And maybe that's despite all I've done or regardless of what I do, you can interpret that scripture in second Nephi 
and maybe other ways than just saying I'm saved by grace after all I can do at the end of my life, then that's when he steps in. But he might step in right in this moment because I'm struggling and, and the best I can do is struggle right now. So yeah, he's a great, great source of power. Well, and that's such a, such a battle too, for at least I, you know, I've experienced it and seeing lots of other guys who have grown up in the church who have, I've heard that scripture many, many times, you know, they've served missions. They're doing their best to serve the church and stay active. And yet there's still this nagging problem. And, and it's always that, Oh, I know, I know what I should be doing. I know I could do better if I just do this, or if I just do that, then I, I wouldn't be struggling so much. And so I'm, I must not be doing all I can do yet, you know? And yeah, that's that's a big battle, I know, and I love the way that um, Brad Wilcox puts it in his in his uh, BYU speech. The uh, uh, what is it? My grace is sufficient, or His grace is sufficient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, that and he says that you know that the Lord isn't just with us after; He's with us before and during, and in the middle of it and after. He's He His grace is there for us through the whole thing you know and 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 it's different at different stages but but he he is with us every step of the way wanting to help us as as much as we'll accept and receive him so yeah where where would you stand relative to someone who is struggling if you were the savior i mean i don't i i used that question with a sunday school class not too long ago we were sitting in a circle i love that circle format that the 12 steps offers and for me, with Sunday school class, this is a group of 14-year-olds. You know, it's also a great way of having people put their cell phones aside and not get preoccupied. <laughs> so <clears throat> instead of passing a basket, we just sit in a circle. And and I, I stood up and I said, I'm going to role play the Savior. You know, hope I don't get struck by lightning. I wasn't trying to do more than just maybe. Uh, excuse me, it wasn't me. I was I was the sinner, sorry. And I, I asked a young man to to role play the savior and he was off of the opposite of the circle and we stood outside the circle and I began walking. I said, so if you're the savior, where would you be? I'm a, str- I'm a sinner. I'm struggling. I don't know how to do this. And, and he uh, walked about opposite me for the first loop or so. I said, think about this. Where would you be? And he actually kind of started getting a little closer and as we explored that, it didn't take very long for him to kind of go to that place of saying uh, or of thinking, you know, where I'd be is as close to this brother that I loved. And within this, just a few minutes, he was right up behind me, you know, not bumping into me, but he was right up behind me. And, and when I stopped and turned, he, I just gave him a big hug. I'm like, thank you so much. And I think that that's where the Savior is. And it's not because we have to prove ourselves. It's because he tells us if we return unto him, he'll return unto us. We just have to turn and face him. And that's kind of the theme of, of this book that I've written. Um, the, the subtitle is Breaking Free of Life's Shadows and Facing the Sun, um, the Son of God. And uh, there's a great quote I learned from a poem years and years ago about how no man sees his shadow who faces the sun. And obviously, as we're looking at the sun, you know, you don't see anything but light. And I like to extend that metaphor to as you're facing the Son of God, 
all you see is power and glory and strength, and uh, he can enable us to do all things. As it says in Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things in Christ which strengtheneth me, including having the courage to repent and having the strength to overcome struggles and having the the ability just to turn and face him when the last thing we feel we deserve is a little bit more light in our lives. So I don't know. How do you, how do you feel about that? I love that metaphor. I'm not the interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm just enjoying listening. <laughs> no, because I do. I love that metaphor of turning to face the sun. Cause when you're looking in his direction and you see his light and you see his power and you you know, and also you're feeling, you know, you think of the, the, the sun S U N when you're facing the sun, especially now that it's, you know, at least here in Utah starting to get warmer, you feel the, the, you feel the heat on your skin. And I would, you know, I can see that metaphor going to when you face the sun S O N you feel the love emanating from him. Whereas yeah. if you turn your back on him, you know, you don't feel that in your face. You, you, you know that it's there, but you're, it's almost like you're not acknowledging it or not receiving it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's a beautiful metaphor. So what would you say to someone then that, that is in that spot where, they've never been to a meeting. They don't know if they want to go. It's, you know, it seems terrifying. I, I can't, I don't even know how many times I've seen someone there that it's their first time and they're just shaking, you know, they're just, uh, you know, the whole mm-hmm. time. I, I get it. I, you know, I've been there and um, what would you say to someone to give them that, that hope that, yeah, going to a meeting is going to make things better. It's not going to, make them worse you know it's not going to label them as this terrible awful addict of you know for life that they won't have to sit and recite you know i'm an addict and i will, will always be an addict and if i <laughs> i will go to meetings until i die like you know it's this fear of being in this weird crowd i, I remember hearing another guy saying man I, I was so nervous to come because i thought they'd just be a whole bunch of degenerates and i get hearing it and it looks like we're in in the middle of elders mm-hmm. or high priest group. Cause yeah, I mean, these guys are amazing to, to and these meetings are just so powerful. But how do you show oh, up? Yeah, the growth, the growth that happens is just so remarkable. And it, you know, 12 step meetings have, there's a lot of humor about them. Uh, we all joke a movie finding Nemo has a funny section in about the <laughs> sharks trying to not eat fish and fish are, friends, not food, and you know, overcoming these struggles that are so innately, uh, sometimes kind of animalistic. And um, I think that the, the, the impetus for what I wrote uh, was because I sat in a meeting, um, there were a few of us there, like three, I think, and uh, one brother was sharing how he had been in a recent discussion with the state president who had said, well, we should have you know dozens, if not hundreds, of people from our stake in this meeting. And he didn't say it as a condemnation of the stake. And uh, he 
he instead said it more as a reaction to, well, there's only one of you or two of you in these meetings. And um, so that kind of got in my soul. I I thought about that, having been to a lot of meetings. You talked about reading the steps. As I I reflect on it, I think I've read step one probably or been in a meeting with step one probably at least 50 times. And I read step one each time with new eyes. I see new things, much like when I read the Book of Mormon or mm-hmm. other scriptures. And so there's no end to what I'm learning by participating and leading meetings. It's just a fabulous experience. But um, I wondered about that person, um, about that version of me or you or anybody else who's looking at the door the first time going, do I, you know, not the church building door or the meeting door, but my car door, do I dare open it? What can I do? How can I take that first step? And there are a lot of forces combining to keep people from doing that. And, um, and so I explore over, you know, a couple hundred pages uh, in a, in a fictional account, kind of a modern parable. Uh, My main character, a guy named Ben Allen, who's been caught by his wife. His wife has left him temporarily and she was madder than a hornet because he was doing something that was not, uh, not good in her eyes and probably not good in most people's eyes. But Ben was kind of going through this this exercise of, do I dare? Um, Is it that big of a deal? Rationalizing it away. It wasn't as bad as it could have been on and on. And then finally getting to a place of just saying, you know what? I don't like the results I'm getting in my life. I don't really enjoy struggle as I face it each week or each day, each moment, each hour. I'm, I think I'm tired. And I think what gets people to to meetings is something that's said in step one. You know, the the step talks about admitting that you of yourself are powerless to overcome your addictions. Well, Maybe you're not ready to use the word addiction, so just use the word struggle. Overcome your struggles and that your life has become unmanageable. At least maybe in that department, you might still be able to pay your bills and other things. But in in that one department, it's not working out. You're not feeling joy. You're feeling pretty stressed, in fact. Well, in step one, as we read it, we talk about how um, people come to meetings when they discover that the the price of the the problem is actually a little bit higher than the price of the solution might be. Mm-hmm. Once that balance tips and someone's willing to say, you know what, I'm willing to in, invest in a, in a different solution than the one I've been trying. Um, mm-hmm. Amazing things start happening. And so the, the, the pain of the problem has to become worse than the pain of the solution. Mm-hmm. And I've found that the people who come and thrive have sort of had a, a version of that play out in their lives. They've, they're finally to a point where they go, I don't know how to get over this, but I'm willing to give something a try because everything I've tried so far hasn't taken me to a better place. You know, the, that definition of insanity, mm-hmm. uh, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Some, some morning, some moment, some, some old, wake up and go, all right, that, uh, I, I don't think this is working. Let's <laughs> try something new. Mm-hmm. And, 
that's where recovery really can begin happening. Prior to that, a lot of people kick the habit, they think, or um, kick it for a time and white knuckle, kind of hold on, hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. But in a way, sort of secretly dreading, privately dreading that it's just gone temporarily and, and they can't imagine getting going back into that hellhole that they've lived in, but know that it feels a little bit too inevitable. Mm-hmm. And that's where meetings become, meetings become valuable and amazing because they, people come to the meeting and go, you know what? Others have been in the same hellhole. So we've talked about that. It's a great realization to know that it's not just you. Mm-hmm. Second, you hear stories um, from people in the meeting that, that sometimes say, I've, I've actually found joy for two months straight right now. Um, others might say, uh, recovery is amazing. It's blessed my life for three years. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine and your first meeting that three years is ever going to be a time frame you could report of being clean and sober and living a, a good life in that regard. But meetings bring about that kind of hope and common experience where people can go to a place of a really good place. And, and that's the process. Uh, you know, sometimes it's not a meeting. Sometimes it might be a good Bishop or in, in the book that I wrote, I, I added a, a friend in that the bishop had suggested to Ben that he called this man in their ward, a guy named Tyler, who probably like me um, facilitates and runs a, a weekly meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tyler just happened to provide Ben with a little bit of a taste of what that could be like. So Ben didn't have to go to a meeting, but he did have to respond to Tyler's text and say, okay, let's talk. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, as many people appreciate that first discussion is also scary, but Holy cow, it makes a big difference to go uh, to a place with someone and open up your soul just a little bit and go there. There might be a different way than the one I've been trying. Mm. And so that uh, it's, you know, it's hard to give enough of a pep talk uh, to anyone who struggles that inspires them to go to a meeting but I, I, everyone that does come to meetings usually has got, gone to that place of, you know what, uh, this isn't working so well for me. I'm going to try a different way. That's fantastic. Yeah, and gosh, thank you for for your work too and being willing to not just facilitate the meetings, but now you're going beyond and you've written this book to try and help others to um, maybe get a taste of, of what it's like before they go. Cause I, 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 I agree. I think that, you know, sometimes going to the meeting isn't the first step. Sometimes that's step, you know, 35 or, or whatever it is to, you know, <laughs> along the path that, you know, you, a lot of people, yeah, they've already talked with a lot of different, well, maybe not a lot, but you know, they've talked with somebody before that, a bishop or a, or yeah. a, a brother or father or someone. And, but I, whatever it is, I, I think, you know, that's, that's what we need to do is that connection, those conversations, it's getting honest. It's um, just keep trying, you know, keep trying. Something might not work, but try something out, you know, just keep, keep doing whatever you can um, and not give up. And so, yeah, thank you for, for writing this book. I'm excited to read the rest of it and, and uh, 
hear the rest. For me, I, I, I like that it's a story format because that's easier for me to write. I don't know if that's why you wrote it that way, but I, that's, that's good for me. <laughs> it's a little easier than reading a book of psychology of like, this is weird, addictive. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, and I've read some fantastic books along those lines. Um, you know, Don Hilton's book, He Restoreth My Soul. So yeah. inspiring. Yeah, very good. Um, the, the addiction recovery guy that the church put out, the 12-step uh, book is fantastic. The big book from AA is fantastic. But they all kind of, and again, there's nothing wrong with them. But uh, I, I wanted to tackle this in a way that was story format so that people could relate a little bit to a person's struggle and mm -hmm. uh, struggle not just with a problem, but struggle to get honest and struggle to own up to stuff. And so we can kind of look in on them and go, you know, kind of get past the the easy answer of, hey, just cut it out, you know, because that's sometimes what uh, people who struggle are told, mm -hmm. but uh, kind of can't let go. Um, it's like one of those monkey traps that I've heard about being built where, you know, you build a box and you cut a little hole just big enough for the monkey to put its hand through and you, and, and you tie it to a tree or a stake to the ground and put a little shiny something in it or a piece of fruit and the monkey comes along and sticks its hand in the hole and mm -hmm. grabs that thing and and you know if you want to catch a monkey bing bada poof you got a monkey right there mm -hmm. and i don't know what you'd do with the monkey if you caught one but what the <laughs> monkey can't do is let go of that thing in the trap to its own peril mm -hmm. and and yet you know, as outsiders, we can sometimes go, monkey, dude, just let go of the, the thing and you're free. Mm -hmm. But for someone who is struggling and trapped in addictive behaviors, um, it could be that they're not even aware they're clinging to something. And, mm -hmm. and so what I wanted to do is kind of take this honest path deep into Ben's own experience um, and, and experiences that were shaping the beliefs he was holding about certain things and, and new experiences would help him kind of double check his own beliefs and his own conclusions like the one we talked about that it's all up to you and so until you figure it out there's you don't qualify for the atonement you don't qualify for forgiveness until you put this far behind you and beliefs that, that the other example like the savior being right there and ready to embrace us the minute we turn um, those are new thoughts. The idea that the Savior, not brand new thoughts, I didn't make these up. I'm just thinking that for Ben, in, mm -hmm. in my book's case, those thoughts had never kind of sunk in. And he'd preached them as a missionary and taught them, but kind of believed it was for everybody but him. Mm -hmm. And I've met so many men in our, our meetings who sort of hold that same belief that this is all great, you know, the, the church, the gospel. I go, I'm very active, but. It's mostly true for everybody else because in my heart of hearts, I know that I, I don't qualify. Mm. And um, that's just so far from the truth. We all qualify in that moment, regardless of where we are, because the Savior says, you know, I'll take everybody. He, he lived with the sinners, with the, the weak, the afflicted, uh, those who struggled. And he, he helped them all. And so there's nothing outside of the scope of the atonement. There's nothing that can nullify um, our access to those blessings. And addiction, unfortunately, can convince us um, otherwise, but 
the truth is um, we, we can never go so far away from the Savior that he wouldn't um, be a light for us and bring us out of that darkness. And so we just have to turn, turn and look at the light that he gives. Wow. I think that's a great place to end because, yeah, when it comes down to it, it really is about us learning to turn to him. And, uh, yeah. Gosh, well, Brett, thank you so much for your insights, for your courage to to write this book. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's it's been a... <laughs> quite a quite an adventure and and you're writing an, a second one too i understand um so if somebody wanted to connect with you or or to buy your book or or to find out about a meeting what what would they do to 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 get in contact with you oh that's great um uh the 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 publisher for my book is called the pure work uh, and it's at the purework.org there are links there to Amazon and Barnes and Noble, other places. Um, actually, the very best price for my book is through my printer, Lulu, L-U-L-U dot com, um, where it's discounted pretty heavily. But at the Pure Work, you can download a free excerpt and get a, a free experience with the book. Uh, as for meetings, um, the best place to go for a discovery session on meetings is to uh, addictionrecovery.lds.org or arp.lds.org. And, you can type in a zip code and find meetings. What's really remarkable is that uh, there are phone-in meetings. So if you live in an area where you don't have a local meeting, um, a phone-in meeting is actually a lot easier to attend. No one looks at you, knows your, you by anything but your first name, probably won't recognize your voice, but they run very similarly. And they, those can be powerful meetings mm-hmm. uh, themselves. Um there too, you can check a box and look for family support meetings where it's women only or look for meetings for various types of addiction and uh, find one that's close in your area. And uh, the last thing, just not to put in a plug for oh, go ahead. Um, my new book, but uh, my, my biggest pain in, in my experience with the program is seeing is that couples, um, many people who, who struggle believe that their marriage is doomed. And I believe it was in the church news uh, a few years back. They'd done some studies and found that marriages are not doomed when someone struggles with addiction. It might be if someone stays in addiction, but only about 8% of marriages of those who actually participate in 12-step meetings end up failing for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. That's a good number, I think. And so Mm -hmm. what I want to do with this next book is to write it from uh, Ben's wife's point of view, Ashley, tell the story. I'll be working on it with my wife um, who, who facilitates a, a meeting for women. And we've learned together that the struggle women face um, who support men in addiction is quite different. These women struggle with a strong sense of betrayal and a lot of anger and a lot of codependence. Like if I could only change something about me, maybe that would make him behave differently and What's beautiful is that as they participate in meetings, they discover that the atonement is for them as well. And it can take care of this anger and take them to a place where they feel a spiritual connection with our Savior and Heavenly Father that they've never felt. And I want to explore that a little bit because, you know, it would be unfair to, um, to anyone who supports someone in addiction 
to ever suggest that it's about them, that it's because of them, that they caused it, that they could cure it, that they can control it in any way. And and my heart goes out to the women. Um, sorry, I'll get more, more emotional than I should at this point, but my heart goes out to the women who support men in addiction. And especially my heart goes out to those who have found hope and healing through Christ and support men in recovery. And those are the miracles that this program produces. So uh, that'll be a fun, fun book. Uh, we're, we're working on it now and we've got uh, probably a little bit of time ahead of us before, before we're done there. But um, the struggle is real and the, the victory is sure. It, the victory has already been won. Um, we just have to choose to participate in it now and and not let Satan, you know, take us out one at a time. So, oh, awesome. great of you to do this, Jimmy. I'm grateful to be part of your your discussion and and hope that uh, this reaches millions of people just because of your earnest desire to to help. Yeah. So you're doing a powerful twelve step thing here. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, again, the title of your book, Arise, Breaking Free from Life's Shadows and Facing the Sun, S-O-N. Uh, I am looking forward to reading the rest of that. Author Brett Walker, uh, his website, thepurework.org. You can uh, you know, buy his book there, or, or I'm sure you could reach out and, and uh, talk with him too. So, Brett, thanks for being here, and thanks for sharing your your testimony of the atonement and of your faith and for the work that you do for so many. I hope you continue to find success and, and helping a lot of couples and help us all to overcome this challenge. So keep at it. Thank you. Thank you. You too. All right. We'll talk to you more, Brett. One more day. Hi, this is Jimmy Correa. I'm the host of Conversations Between Addicts. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope that you'll visit us at our website, www.jimmyandshelly.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-A-N-D-S-H-E-L-L-Y, where you can find out more about me or my wife, Shelly, and here are some of the things that we enjoy doing. Most of all, I hope that you will share this podcast with someone else. My experience has been that every family is hit with some kind of addiction, depression, some kind of a big challenge like that. And it really takes having an open, honest conversation to strengthen and build relationships. I know that that's been a huge blessing in my life, and I hope that you will reach out and start those conversations with someone else because it's hard to start sometimes. Most of all, I hope that you remember that there are people out there that need to have those conversations with you. They need to hear honest, open, heartfelt feelings and know that they're cared about. Really and truly, there are people depending on you. So go out and share. Go out and talk with them. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.